0: Good morning, everyone. We need to do it again. I can tell that we're still waking up. Good morning, everyone. Oh, thank you. You know you're feeding an extrovert when you do that. Yeah, so I needed to hear you. All right. Well, Happy New Year to all of you. You know, I know some of you are thinking, girl, that is so yesterday. You know, it's two weeks into the new year, but I love to say Happy New Year to people, and I like to remind myself and others of that as well, because the new year just represents a fresh start. No matter what kind of a year you've had, whether it was the grandest or whether it was filled with kind of a mixed bag or or you really were glad to see it go, it doesn't matter. New year. New. That sounds good. You can tell I'm a futurist. Okay, but that is also a great time for us to explore, to think about, to reflect on what our yeses are going to be this year. Now, I know some of you are reading popular literature and popular blogs out there, and they're all focused on saying no, so you can say yes. So the no is the big deal, right? You need to stop doing this and this and this. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about saying yes, And so I want to invite you to a world of adventure, because a yes is a gateway to an adventure, to learning, to growth, to unexpected joy that we might not anticipate. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to share about a person who influenced your life as a child and and shaped who you are today. And you're going to have a chance to share about that. But first, here's my story. One hour a week can change a life forever. Mrs. Lastly said yes, what I like to call a Jesus yes, to teaching fourth, third, and fourth grade Sunday school. And I was there as a fourth grader with my friend Dolores, who had invited me. And Mrs. Lastly was a mom, first of all. And I didn't really know her kids or anything, but I found out later they were just a couple years ahead of me in school. And this mom decided to say yes. To one hour a week. Well, I have to confess it was a little more than an hour a week. Because she was an amazing storyteller. And I'm pretty sure she spent a little time during the week getting ready for that hour that I was invested into. So she introduced me to Jesus and to God's big story, the Bible. And for this 10-year-old, and 9 at the time, but almost 10, this was the best news in the world to me. And within a few months, I decided to become a follower of Jesus. And it was on a Sunday morning like this, and with a center aisle at our church, we marched down. And I marched down that aisle, and I stood in the front, and I took my pastor, Paul Moore's, hand, and I looked him in the eyes, and I said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Savior and Lord. And I mean, everybody applauded, and I walked up to this room off the platform of the church where I prepared to be baptized, yeah, that very day. And when I came up out of the water, I was pretty sure that I was glowing. I was so excited. One hour a week, one yes, one volunteer who had kids of her own and a friend's invite changed the course of my life forever. So saying yes, it will always be a personal word to me. I can't separate it from my story. But what about you? Who's the person, who's a person who's, who expressed care or did something for you as a child that helped shape you in your adult life? I'd like you to take a moment, turn with a person next to you, um, and share that story. Who are they and what did they do? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So whether you decided to just share a moment of quiet reflection there by yourself, maybe that was more comfortable for you. You don't find yourself in the extrovert category. And you just reflected on that story. It was a moment of gratitude, a moment to think about somebody who's made a real difference in your life. And these people who cared about us and helped us as kids to become who we are today, well, they understood Dr. Seuss's words, a person's a person, no matter how small. Jesus and Dr. Seuss agree on this, okay? And I'm pretty sure you know which one of those is more important and came first. But this is the deal. Jesus is a counter-revolutionary when it comes to who he says yes to. He says yes to people that most people say no to. And we don't have to be afraid today today. Even though sometimes we do feel like we do, we're kind of on guard when somebody's talking about saying yes. We don't have to be afraid of a Jesus yes. Jesus said yes to people who for centuries had no or marginal status in their culture. And this included children. Children who for centuries were really more known for fear, for helplessness, for weakness. And they were definitely not given what I call real person status The real person status that Jesus modeled for us, and we're going to see today, or that Dr. Seuss later wrote about. And when you and I say yes to a relationship with Jesus, I don't know where you're at in your journey today with him, but if you said yes to him today, then we have become part of a new kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God, and there's a new king, and there's a whole other set of values than the values that all week long we're swimming in. Our culture is the water we swim in, the air we breathe. And so we have to remind ourselves and renew our minds. And that's what we're doing today about the values in God's kingdom. Because his values are upside down, inside out, and backwards from the ones that we're faced with week after week, day after day. But the big idea today is really simple. It's that Jesus said yes to kids and he wants us to do the same. Now... It might not look the same for everyone. So what we want to talk about is we're going to talk about what does that mean, Jesus saying yes. And what does that look like in our lives, depending on our season of life and where we're at. And then we want to hear some stories from our world-class children's pastor, Kim Lawless. And then we'll finish with a few words from Jesus because I want him to have the final word and do a little reflection on our own life and our year ahead. Does that sound good, everybody? You ready? Oh, that is good, you guys. Okay, Jesus values kids. He said the least are the greatest. In fact, he said that we, the big people, the adults, need to be more like kids. Well, those aren't his exact words, but they're very close to what he said. Let's read in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now, in Luke's account of this same exchange that Jesus had with the crowd and with his disciples, Jesus adds another comment, kind of a P.S. at the end of his statements. And he says this in Luke 8, 48. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Now, let me just say that the one thing I love about this whole encounter with Jesus, something that really strikes me, is that when Jesus Called a little child to him. He came. Now, we're just past Christmas, and some of you maybe took your kids to see Santa Claus. Did your, Santa, did your kids always want to sit on Santa Claus's lap? No. No. Scary, right? Do your kids want... Do they like every adult they meet? No. But if you read all the encounters of Jesus with children, whatever they were, you never see a child run in fear, turn away in fear, try to get away from him which would be typical. No, instead, Jesus calls this child, and this child comes. There's a lot of uh, different ideas about who the child actually was. But here's the other thing I like. that Here Jesus has a whole crowd around him, but he is aware of the children. That in itself is an expression of his value for them. They were not nobodies to him. He knew that they were there, and he brought one up to be an example to everybody else. But the big deal here is not that, though that really charms me and attracts my attention. The big deal is what Jesus said, because he actually said some pretty shocking words for them. He told the adults in the crowd that they need to become more like kids. Is that the typical direction we go with our imitation? Uh, no, it wasn't in that culture or with that crowd and it wasn't in ours. No, instead we're always pointing to the adults. I hope that that child turns out like him. I hope that you have that trait. And whenever we're commenting on those traits, it's the traits of big people, right? Or maybe it's a composite of a bunch of people in your life and family. You say, I hope my child gets this from this person and this from this person, etc." But it's The little people imitating the big people. So what Jesus is saying is kind of puzzling to them. And I I imagine them going, where's Jesus going with this anyway? What's he trying to tell us? Well, one thing is, I don't think that he's trying to tell us to imitate children in throwing fits or getting your sister to lick a slug or throwing a rock through your neighbor's window. You can ask me later how I could know those things. One of the moms here at Evergreen (laughs) wrote a post, you know, from her Saturday night, which was uh, her, which would have been her Friday night, but she wrote it on Saturday, and she had numerous Binky retrieval missions in the middle of the night because her son kept dropping between the bed frame and the wall, and he kept waking up all the other kids to get it for his search. And in the process, one of those said kids went out to the kitchen and opened the fridge and opened a bottle of hot sauce, which exploded all over everything. That's not what Jesus was telling us to imitate, right? So what was it that Jesus wants us to imitate about kids? You tell me. What are some of your thoughts? What was it? Believe. believe yes, simple belief. You said it. I believe it. What's another thing? that? What was it? Innocence. Innocence. Yes. Yeah. Over here, Steve? Yeah, an open heart, an open heart, willing to receive. And back there. Childlikeness. Yeah. Yeah. Humility. Humility. One more back there. What was it? Forgiving. Forgiving. Yes. Well, you guys have really hit on them. You know, children are dependent. They're humble. They forgive easily and repeatedly, more easily than we do in comparison. And they love fiercely. They love fiercely. And how are they humble? They're humble in that they're eager to learn and receive from others, just the very things that you guys shared. And they're real, not pretentious. They say what they think, right? Okay, now, I, no offense to anyone who does smoke in here, but I have to tell you that my daughter, she was known for her, um, let's see, straightforwardness with adults. Whether she knew them or not, she told them what she thought, when she was little, and um, she would go up and tell them if they were smoking, you know you should stop that that 's stinky you know just whatever came to her mind that weren 't the only words that she used, but she she would tell them exactly what she thought, and honestly this is this is part of the what Jesus was talking about they 're not pretentious they don 't put on airs, they know that they need other people well, at least. Most of the time, there's a few stages there in raising our kids that we feel like they do think they know it all. But kids were on Jesus' admired list for these very qualities that you've mentioned this morning, and he valued them as little people made in his image, just as important as us. John Ortberg, in his book, Who is This Man?, he has a chapter that's devoted to talking about how Jesus transformed the way our culture, and across history, we view and value children. And what I'm about to share with you comes from this second chapter of this book. It's called The Dignity Gap. Now, I wanted to mention the book because I hope you'll read it, because the book called Who Is This Man is really all about the impact, the shockwave that Jesus was when he entered planet Earth and the reverberations of that throughout all cultures over all time. And so it's fascinating, and it's interesting But he devotes this chapter to talking about how he transformed the way we think about kids. And we sometimes take it for granted. In the ancient world, there was a dignity gap. You see, there was a hierarchy of value. And at the top of the hierarchy was the gods, little g, right? And just below them, the kings who claimed to be divine or who at least saw that they were ruling by divine favor. And if you don't believe that, maybe you should watch a show on Netflix called Crowns. And you will see that they very much had this feeling of that divinity had everything to do with them being king or queen. But below kings were his court, and then the priests, and then the artisans, and then the merchants. And finally, beneath all of them were the peasants and the slaves and the children. And these, my friends, were the majority of the people at the time. These peasants, slaves, and children formed the majority, and they were considered the dregs of humanity. So the God and the king were treated with dignity, but those at the bottom, the majority of culture, had no status whatsoever. And then Jesus enters the scene and teaches us that there's one God, that he's good, and that every person on planet Earth has been made in his image. And this radical idea has been woven into our world in ways that sometimes we don't notice or think about. So, our Declaration of Independence, it begins this way. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do you recognize Jesus' value for every person in those words? Yeah. That people are created, not accidents. That the creator gives them certain endowments, and he has conferred worth on them. And this worth means that they come with certain rights that should be respected by a society, if we're going to consider that society good. And this is true for all human beings, that they're all created equal. But this is a radical idea in the ancient world, the idea... That human beings were created equal was not self-evident in the ancient world. Aristotle did not think that all men were created equal. He said that slaves and masters was the natural order of things. So who came between Aristotle and Thomas Jefferson, who penned those famous words? Jesus. Jesus did. The ancient world did not teach this, but Jesus taught that every person is a child of God created in his image and worthy of respect. Ordinary children in the ancient world did not share the image of God, and this was reflected in the way they were treated. Many of the babies didn't grow up at all. They could be left to die if their parents didn't want them. In fact, their parents could leave them to die, a a thing that's called exposure, Right, taking them out to a dump outside of town and leaving them. They could do that if they were the wrong gender, which was a girl, by the way, and and keep the boys. They could also do it if their children, there were too many of them, and they didn't want to divide their property that much when they went on to die, so they could get rid of them that way. If a family couldn't afford to feed another mouth, they could let a child die of exposure rather than giving them away or adoption or many of the things we take for granted as another way to take care of that. Plutarch, who was a thinker and a writer in the first century, said that until a child was at least a week old, it was more like a plant than a human being. And he reflected the thinking of the day. Children were disposable. Then Jesus came and he changed it all. He came as a child and he said things about children that no one had said before and a quiet revolution started. And as this movement started to spread, that Jesus started, it created this alternative community for children where they were valued. Early instructions among his followers, such as the Dedicae in the second century, prohibit the widespread practices of abortion or exposure or infanticide. The church began to care for abandoned babies. Over time, instead of leaving babies in a dump, people left them at churches. And at monasteries, because they knew they would be cared for and taken care of. It was the beginning of what we now know as orphanages. The elevation of the dignity of children came into the world through Jesus. Jesus was and is counter-culture. Revolutionary, who values kids and said that we should be like them. In their humility, in their trust, and in their dependence. And Jesus declared them as great. And I have good news for you today because we are a faith community who believes that. We see, we admire, and we value kids. So I'd like to share just a recent example of this with you, if I may. Christmas Eve services. Uh, You might remember our theme was I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. Speaking of, did we get a little carried away with our prayers here? (laughs) Above and beyond all that we could ask or imagine? I mean, come on, okay, here's the deal. We've had a lot of fun with it, but no more prayers like that, folks. Okay, this snow's got to go. Okay, but we do a family service every Christmas Eve, and it's designed with the kids in mind, because if they're going to be with us, we want them to know we see you. We know that you count. And so we deliver the message in two parts. Equally effective, I might add, even for us big people. We love the story, too. And our children's pastor, Kim, does the first half, and then another pastor delivers the second half. And Kim prepared this story, and she had her draft done. And it included a little boy called Declan, who decided to make breakfast for his parents On Christmas morning, and we have a grade school boy in our congregation with Prader-Willi syndrome, and bringing up food can be really difficult for him, depending on the context and how it's working. So before she finalized her story, she called the parents and ran that part of the story by them. Now, they okayed it, and Kim moved on, but then she realized, I'm going to be mixing up pancakes like a kid does, not like an adult does, and the flour is going to go flying out, and there's going to be flour dust in the air, and we have kids who have celiacs, so I need to buy some different flour. So she traded in her regular flour for the coconut, gluten-free flour. Now, Kim enlisted hours in writing practicing and preparing props for that story and we in in, of the church of evergreen invested a lot of money in buying an ornament for each of the children that would reinforce the big idea and every year we do that why do we do that because we say yes to kids a jesus yes Now, this same care and thoughtful preparation and value for every child is expressed every Sunday here at Evergreen. I don't know if you know that each Sunday there are 60 volunteers down that hallway over the course of the two services, and they invest 175 hours in providing an experience with God and in his word that will help each child connect with God, make faith their own, and understand how they could live it out right where they're at, at their age. And during the week, volunteers invest another 120 hours in helping our kids be prepared for that encounter with God. So they prepare for it. And there's people who do that at home, and there's people who are doing that at the building during the week. But I don't know if you've done the math, but here's what it is. 295 hours a week are invested in the 9.30 and 11.15 service times for your kids. I don't know if you've done that, but I like to call it people hours because there is a face attached to each one of those hours. And did you know that 295 hours is 12 days worth of time? And that every weekend there's 12 days worth of time invested to make that an incredible encounter with God for our kids. Why is that? Because we value kids like Jesus does. Now, there's another kind of investment that that takes. There's supplies and resources and all that. And you know, if your checkbook doesn't is a great measure of what's important. And if you look at the church checkbook, you see that kids really matter because in 2016, we invested it mind you. Okay, don't test me on that figure later. In 2016, that's a huge piece of the budget. We invested in our kids because we love and value kids. The thing is, as important as it is to be a faith community that values kids like Jesus does, we have to also ask ourselves today, what about our individual experience in valuing kids, not just on Sunday, but all the in-between days. We have to ask ourselves that as a parent, as a grandparent, as a Jesus follower who's part of a community of faith that's helping raise our kids, as guardians, as step-parents, whatever your role is with the kids in your life, how are you valuing kids? My daughter Hillary is an introvert, and when an introvert is ready to talk, you need to be ready to listen then, because that doesn't happen very often. For us extroverts, it's like oh, all the time. Shut it off, girl. But <laughs> for for our kids, when they're an introvert, they really need that. So you can imagine how I made her feel. I was as I was raising with her when Anne, the Energizer Bunny, the woman with the pickaxe out on the sidewalk. Okay, when that Anne was invited into a conversation with her, and I was, busy, I was hurrying her to move on to my other tasks. These were not Jesus yeses, or when I tried to rush her in conversation. Jesus had to call me on that on more than one, on more than one occasion. Today, instead of a to-do list, many parents are looking at their cell phones while talking to their kids. What does this say to them? Catherine Steiner-Adair, who's a clinical and consulting psychologist at Harvard, and she's actually a therapist as well as a school consultant, and she's written a book that I've been reading. It's called The Big Disconnect, Protecting Childhood and Family Relationships in the Digital Age. And for her book, she interviewed more than 1,000 kids from age 4 to 18. And she says one of the things that absolutely knocked her socks off, those are her words, was the consistency with which children, whether they were 4 or 8 or 18, talked about feeling exhausted and mad and sad and frustrated at trying to get their parents' attention, competing with computer screens, iPads or iPhones or other kinds of technology. She said it was a lot like in therapy what she would hear kids talking about with sibling rivalry, except it wasn't siblings. It was technology rivalry that they were living with. And she says that in her work, both as a therapist and as a school consultant, the thing she's been struck by is this one eternal and truth that Jesus started first. It's this, that children need their parents' time and attention. And this can easily be lost with the lure of the virtual world. Angela, age 13, put it this way. She said, What I wish my parents understood about technology is that technology isn't the whole world. How about just spend some time together? And they're like, Wait, I just want to check something on my phone. I need to call work and see what's going on. Or Tyler, age seven, who said, My mom's always on the iPad at dinner. She's always, and he put in quotes, just checking. Or Penny, age 7. I always keep on asking her, let's play, let's play. And she's always texting on her phone. Or Owen, age 9. Once my dad was ignoring my mom so bad for over 30 minutes, so I sat on his keyboard. (laughs) I got sent to my room. I was just trying to help my mother. But I got in trouble. So there's paying attention as an expression of valuing our kids. But what about how we use our words to express value to kids? Maybe you're a parent today and you can relate to an encounter that I had a few weeks ago. The little girl was in tears and I asked her why she was crying and she said, Daddy said I was acting like a jerk, but I'm not a jerk, as her sobs continued. Parents, have you ever used words with your kids? that disparaged their identity, that demeaned them, that made them feel less than what they really are. Maybe your Jesus yes is all about changing how you interact with your child and being more thoughtful in your words. And I just want to say that I think most of us have had moments where we've done these things. But this is about the future. It's a new year. You can have a new yes. That can change the direction of your relationship with the kids in your life, whatever they are to you. So here's the deal. Jesus says yes to kids. He values them. He said we should be more like them, and he stopped for kids. He prioritized them in his busy schedule. He let them interrupt what he was doing, and he did this without reminding them of how important and busy he really was. Probably the most familiar story... <clears throat> of Jesus with children, and one that's told in several of the Gospels, is the story of the parents who brought their children to Jesus for his blessing. And the amazing thing about this story that a lot of us might not realize is this story happened after the one we read about earlier. So Jesus has told them how important kids are. Jesus has told them that they should be more like kids and that they should value kids. And what do they do? The opposite. They really don't get it. And sometimes I don't get it either. And I just want to start there. So let's read in Mark 10, this account. It says this, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, and he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now the first thing I noticed in this account is in verse 14 where it says, When Jesus saw this, he was indignant." And what I remind myself of regularly and have across the years is this, that Jesus sees what we do with kids. He sees it each moment. And that's not to be a hammer coming down on us. That's to inspire us. He sees. He knows the frustrations. He knows the things that happen. Jesus sees what we do with kids. What was his reaction in this case? He was really ticked off. The King James is kind of funny, very proper. And Jesus was much displeased. Okay? He was annoyed. He was mad. He was angry with him, indignant. That's what it means if you check it out. Now, moms, you know that when somebody does something to your child, especially an adult, that you think they shouldn't have done, um, the growl comes out and the mama bear emerges, right? And dads, you know that if your child suffers an injustice at the hands of somebody else, you are ready to teach them. I'll take care of this. I'll show them how to uh, prepare for battle, you know? And And the dads are there. But Jesus was no slouch in his response to his disciples not getting how important kids were. He had the mama and the papa bear trumped. You see, these guys are clueless about what really matters to Jesus, even though he's been trying to tell them. They kind of struggled with that, and we do too. They decide to shoo away the kids and tell the parents to stop, and Jesus was not happy with them. What did he do? It says he rebuked them. A rebuke is this, stop it. It's not soft. It's not all coated with sugar. It's a stop it. Don't do that again. That's how serious Jesus took that. And he chewed them out for chewing the parents out. But honestly, this is just one of the many times that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah of the world, was interrupted for kids. There was a guy named Jairus, a dad. He had a 12-year-old daughter. He interrupted Jesus in the middle of a crowd and said, my daughter is sick and I need you to come. And Jesus, while he was on his way, got news that the daughter had died, but he went anyway, and he raised his daughter from the dead. Did you know that three out of the four people that Jesus raised from the dead while he was here on planet Earth were kids? And, you know, funny thing, afterwards, he tended to them. He said, get food for them. He he told them to do different things for them, but he never said, did you know that I took time out of my very busy schedule for you today? Just so this could happen, never tried to draw the attention that way. On another occasion, Jesus comes off a mountaintop. He's with three friends, and they've had a great experience. And what does he come down the mountain to? A dad whose son is suffering from demon-induced seizures. And the dad says, could you heal my son? And Jesus, he goes and he delivers the boy. The truth is, the stories about Jesus stopping for kids, being interrupted for kids at inconvenient moments for him, could go on and on today. He sees and values kids. He stops for them. He says yes to them. And the question we're asking ourselves in this new year is, is this reflected in my life in any of the ways I mentioned? Maybe it's as part of our faith community and what you do for kids here, but maybe it's about what you do in your home. Maybe it's what you do with the grandkids in your life. I'm not sure which of those for you today, but I know that the Holy Spirit knows that. So, this is the time where we'd like to pause and we want to hear some stories about some people who've said yes to kids here at Evergreen. Would you welcome our kids' pastor, Kim Lawless, with me? Well, we love our E-Kids team. They really are
1: our heroes. And just like every adult, every child has a story. And we believe that we've been given an opportunity to impact and impl- influence each gener- the next generation one child at a time. Uh, we had a sixth grade girl that had started coming. Her foster family was bringing her, and she was new, new to church. And one of our leaders, Stephen, was so excited because she had finally started connecting with the class and engaging. And then she found out it was time to move up to youth group, and she was really scared and anxious. Stephen continued to connect with her and encourage her. And uh, it was a Sunday, and we were having baptisms right here. And one of Stephen's friends was getting baptized. And Stephen jumped up. If you know Stephen, Stephen Crane, he jumped up and he ran down to cheer him on and, and uh, be part of that. And then there was an open invitation. If anyone would like to be baptized today, you can come right where you are. And this girl got up, made her way up to Stephen and said, is it too late for me to get baptized? And I only have my street clothes. And Stephen said, Jesus would love that. <laughs> and uh, it was so cool because Brad, our youth pastor, was the one that was baptizing And Stephen felt like that was set up by God for that connection, and it was just what she needed so she would be able to go to the youth group and feel comfortable. When it was over, Stephen bought her a Bible, had her name engraved on it, wrote a scripture inside of it, and gave it to her. And she said that it meant so much to her in that verse, and she said she had had a rough life. Because of what Stephen said, because of what Stephen's yes That little girl will never be the same. We uh, have a variety of kids that we get to serve. We have kids, like I mentioned, foster care. We have kids that are adopted. We have kids from broken homes, kids who need extra support. We have kids who have raised in church and are here every Sunday. One thing is the same across the board, is having an adult outside of their family that knows that child and knows their story has huge impact it, we had a, uh, one of our grade school girls, she came running into Surge, our first through fourth grade class, and she got her lanyard and she went running over to her leader and she threw her arms around her and she said, I love you, Tess. There's something about saying a child's name and knowing them that has great impact on their life. We have uh, in our younger classes, well actually let me back up, Daniel last month in that same class, he did a whole message about uh, the gift of God's son. And he had this this giant uh, game board set up in the class and the kids got around him and as he walked and he said, there was a gift that was promised and 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 it was gonna be the, the gift that brought hope. And he shared this message afterwards. Fifteen kids that Sunday, a lot of them brand new, said yes to Jesus. And watching leaders stand around those kids and pray over them was powerful. One of the things Ann mentioned uh in the scripture about Jesus blessing the children, we tell our leaders, you said yes, God's gonna give you everything you need, and we pray over them. So each week when they're looking at kids, they're saying, Wow. You, you're amazing. God's hand is on you. You're going to have influence. Again, something about that adult outside of the family that says, I see you and you matter, that has great influence. In our little kids class, Launch and Flash, we have uh, an awesome leader, Tyla. If you've ever been down there, you'll see her, and she's on her knee, and every child that walks in, she's looking at them, and she's saying their name, she knows them, and she speaks life and truth into those little kids' lives. When they come in, they stand a little taller and their head's up a little higher and they respond in respect. And when she talks about Jesus, guess what? They listen. We had a little guy, uh, five years old, that about a year ago, he started coming and he was just having a hard time getting to class. I mean, he would come in and then he would sit by himself and Dina would consistently say, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I love that you're in my class. And little by little, week after week, month after month, he started engaging. It was breakthrough. One of our directors spotted him running down the down the hall with his parents chasing him to get to the class. That's impact on kids' lives. They say that one of the most important ministries in your whole church, can you guess? The babies, the nursery. And many times, we are the first people that that um, parents will bring, that will trust their kids with. It's like this treasured prize possession. Now, those of you who have older kids, you're like, by fifth grade, you're like, you take them. You know, you're, (laughs) boom, they're yours. Get me an hour. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But it's very, very different with these babies. And, you know, I think about one of our leaders, Mark. Mark when when those little infants and toddlers they come running into them running into him in fact we had one little girl she was having a really hard time being checked in but when she saw Mark she reached out to be comforted by him you might think well what does he do let me tell you he sings songs he reads books he plays in the ball pit He eats their pretend food. And this morning, he was sitting right in the middle of the floor building blocks when I peeked in there. He loves kids. And that is a faith foundation that is priceless. They know they want to come back because Teacher Mark is going to be there. Today, we invite you to say yes. To say yes to, hey, I can sub, I can be a small group leader, I'll be like their pastor, I'll speak into their lives. I can pray. I can do that. I can work from home. I can be a buddy. We have a whole lot of kids that need one-on-one attention and extra love, and we want to be the church that says yes to every child who knows Jesus. So today, we invite you to say yes to the next generation. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Karen. What would you do if your life had been changed forever by someone's yes? The truth is, our lives have been changed by more than someone, but by someone's, various people who have said yes at different points in our lives. And... Today, I just want to invite you to join me in praying and listening as the Holy Spirit speaks to you about what does your yes in 2017 look like? Where is it that you need to adjust how you value kids, how you stop for kids, how you respond to the interruptions that kids are so famous for? What is it that Jesus is saying to you today? You know, I was changed by a more than Mrs. Lastly. After Mrs. Lastly was a woman named Virginia Blankenship, who was my teacher for two years. And after her was Dave and Jeanette Roth, cousins to who would be my future husband. They were my junior high leaders. And after them was Randy Edwards. And after Randy was Tim Doty. And after Tim Doty was Roy Bunch. And in the summer before college was one of the youth leaders who helped and assisted, named Glenn Looney. You see, God has a lot of people say yes in our lives. And I hope that today, that in this reflection on who shaped you as a child, um, that we will be moved both by Jesus' story and words to us, but by our own experience, remembering that we didn't get here on our own merits, that we didn't get here on our own strength, that we didn't get here just on our own activities. There's a host of people who have helped us know what it means to follow Jesus. And our invitation today is to be a part of the stream of people who say yes to kids, who value kids, who stop for kids in all the venues as parents, as grandparents, and as a church. So I said that I wanted to let Jesus have the final words. I wanted to remind you of two of his final words in each of these stories So the words are on the screen. It says, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And he went on to say, And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Let's welcome Jesus in how we treat kids and how we value kids. Let's pray together. Jesus, just want to say thank you for really a church that's incredible at saying yes and supporting and valuing our kids and kids' ministry, Lord. But we also know, Lord, that you are a dynamic God who looks at our lives and is always inviting us to more, inviting us to opportunities, inviting us to make changes, and, Lord, to become more like you. So we invite your Holy Spirit today to speak to us. And, Lord, our answer is yes. A yes to you, the most important person in the world to say yes to. So we say yes to becoming the people that you want us to be. To valuing kids like you value them. To speaking to kids the way you talk to kids. To listening and paying attention the way you listen and pay attention. And Lord, we can't do it on our own. We get frustrated. We get mad. We get upset. Lord, sometimes we're just plain selfish in the middle of all of it. I admit that too. Would you help us in those times this week? Would you just come by your spirit and help us and remind us of what the truth is and what the real value is and what really matters. We thank you for doing that in Jesus' name.